Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass effect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, game, ink weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. My name's Regina Barbara DeGraff. I'm an educator, a pop culture enthusiast, TV watcher. I'm here with my co-host, Jordan Baker. How's it going? It is going well. Improv is going well. We, I don't know. Those it's it's going to be outdated once I tell everybody, but Belling Hamlet and uh, Pirates is Oh my happening. gosh, I want to see Pirates. Right, yeah. yeah. So we are here today with our guest, Eric Johnston. And he works for the city of Bellingham. So this is going to be a local slash topical national episode. And we're going to talk about water quality. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Before we go into, would you say controversial topic of water quality in our nation? Well, I think certainly drinking water quality is a concern of many people across the United States right now. Yeah. Controversial, I don't think there's much controversy. Uh, <laughs> lead, lead in drinking water is a bad idea. There's no controversy about that. I like the answer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's certainly been interesting to watch being in the water industry and, and you know, things that seem pretty clear cut about keeping our drinking water safe that seem to have not really worked. And what's really sad about that is people's lack of trust or loss of trust in, in the government's responsibility to provide that safe drinking water. And that's unfortunate, but there's really no controversy. We, we have an obligation to provide safe drinking water, and that's, that's pretty clear. That is I'm going to raise my hand yeah. uh, <laughs> because I, I'm a little behind the times on my uh, water quality uh, learningness. What about <laughs> education? So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, education. <laughs> so I think the only controversy controversy that I ever heard about was fluoride in the water. <laughs> oh yeah, I think that would be fair to say that the majority of most municipal water systems are putting fluoride in the water system. Okay, there's quite a bit of discussion. Uh, some of the uh, communities down in in southwest United States with naturally occurring fluoride in the system. There's a question as to how much fluoride they should put in there, and and sometimes those conversations get kind of construed or misconstrued as it gets out to, to different areas, but certainly excessive fluoride would be very, very bad. Anyway, so let's let's get to actually some history because we asked this to all of our guests because I'd like our listeners to understand how you actually get into science or how you get into STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. So I wanted to ask you, Eric, like what field of STEM were you educated in and how did you get into that? Like what was your aha moment as a child or as a young adult? Well, I think my, maybe my aha moment was I like smashing things with hammers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Breaking so glass is the funnest. Well, in the, in the backyard, pounding on rocks with a hammer, that was just always great fun and working with tools. And so as a, as a really young kid, that was just appealing to me. So as a teenager, I uh, ended up getting a job on a, for a construction company and decided that that would be the neat thing to do and right. go out, pound hammers and use power tools and nail guns. Nail guns are just lots of fun. So they are. Pounding stuff and... I've seen Penn and Teller. <laughs> lots of big tools and, and lots of noise. That was that was pretty attractive. So I decided at some point that uh, I didn't want to be the guy pounding the nails. I wanted to be the guy telling the guy how to pound the nails. So, <laughs> so that means we all want to be management. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, somehow I, I, had, I, I, I had that being outside in January in Washington was probably not uh, what I wanted to do. There's nothing right. nothing wrong with that. So you grew up in Washington? I did. I grew up in Olympia. Okay. And at some point decided to go to school, went to Washington State University and was looking into their construction management program. Go Cougs. I also went to Washington State go University. Go Cougs. It's a great place to go. Yeah. Uh, so as, as I was getting ready to get into that program, discovered for one extra semester of math, I could get a degree in engineering. And so went from construction management to civil engineering and, and wow. was much better suited for that. And engineering is just the practical application of science and, and research to improving society, improving infrastructure and safe roads and safe water and safe Safe bridges. Safe we, bridges. We definitely need that in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere, but just try, trying to provide the infrastructure that we that we use. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my connection, just the attraction from building things and then went to through the engineering program, decided to go work for a big consulting company building big dams uh, throughout the United States and then cool. all over the world. And after a couple of years of that, decided I didn't want to travel five days a week. Ch- changed my attention to working in the public sector and went from consulting to working on, on public infrastructure and, and uh, very quickly enjoyed providing the things that we enjoy every day. 
So one of my very first projects as a municipal engineer was putting a sidewalk in on a street that uh, you'd see a, a, a young lady in a wheelchair going down the middle of the road. Ugh. We put the sidewalks in, and now that young lady can use the sidewalks instead of having going down the middle of the street. And that, that was really attractive. And so I've, I, I, my career changed from Discovery Channel uh, engineering to, to municipal engineering and protecting public health and keeping people safe and providing uh, infrastructure for people to use. So that's that's my short background. I think that's really amazing because there's so many places I mean, even even in King County that there's no sidewalks. People don't realize how much that affects everybody's everyday life. You yeah. can't you can't walk your baby in your stroller. You know, you, your kids can't ride their bikes because they're not going to ride down these big roads. If you have more people walking around, you have a sometimes a safer community. It's it's there's a lot of like social justice almost and put in like how you plan a city. There so very I, much is. You know, that's kind of the softer science of things, but there's still <laughs> science and research behind that. No, absolutely. Uh, but what really attracted me to the engineering side was that, you know, the, the math and the chemistry and the basic physics that, that became um, really what we do. Now, I, I hardly use that anymore after, <laughs> after 18 years of doing this business, but that's the basis of what trains engineers. And one of, the, one of the benefits that I saw in my STEM education through college, and I don't use you know, third degree order differential equations anymore. I don't either, not for the show. (laughs) But, but, but they, but it teaches you how to think, right? So the the basis of the STEM program is a way to teach people how to think and how to rationally solve problems and to identify solutions that, that make sense and you can repeat them. And It, it basically teaches you how to, like what to do with your curiosity. I mean, I think so many humans are curious, even ones that don't go into STEM. And like, once you actually end up in a science class, you're like, oh, I can ask these questions and I can figure out how to find the answer or how to actually get some information to help with these questions. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. I don't know how this works, but let's figure out how to make this work and right. put it to a better use. I was always told curiosity kills the cat. Right. So I just I just take everything and <laughs> right. just go. You're like, I have Stop. a lot of okay. feline go? traits. Okay. <laughs> don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. No. Whatever. He's My totally eyes. lying, lis- listeners. He has to learn to do um, improv. I definitely, I definitely live my life in the gray area. Yeah, <laughs> I find all the loopholes and all the rules. Well, well, and you have to like, you, you have to be curious of what like the person on stage is going to do next, right? Because you have to like anticipate and react to it, right? Sure, but that's just listening and reacting. I think you're a scientist deep down, Jordan. So, We're going to do this show for like ten that. years, and then you're going to go back and get a science degree. <laughs> right. question about like basically the history of Bellingham and or just cities in general like when did like cities start regulating water start you know cleaning the water so it was drinkable maybe plumbing when did that all happen I seriously do not know <laughs> that's a good question because yeah. it, it's a pretty recent development yeah. it's only been in the last 150 not quite 200 years where where people have actually taken drinking water and and treated it or dealt with it to keep it from from making us sick you know the, the romans many many years ago figured out ways to get water from point a to point b and those things still work but it wasn't until the 18 middle of the 1800s that people figured out that you couldn't have human waste in your drinking water supply and not get sick and so right. you, you had the the major cholera outbreaks and ty- typhoid outbreaks in london that led to the science that said you know the the the, this, the communicable disease is not caused by some myth- ethereal misting. Right. You're not getting sick from the fog. You're getting sick from the drinking water. And, and right. the, a big portion of the public health and the social equity things and, and the things that created the urban cities in the late 1800s came from the need to have safe and, and reliable drinking water and waste disposal. Yeah. Uh, in the 1850s, when London started putting in the, the treating drinking water and then having the sewers be discharged instead of being collected in people's basements, that, that led to a major change. Wait, what? So so London, and this is this is a pretty well established. It's always my, London. Before they had common sewers, it was either just dumped in the street. Right. Uh, or they would have, uh, they would call the night soil, the solid portion of human waste to be collecting in the basement. And the these, night soil. And this night whole soil. industry. I'm going to call it that from now on. Thank you, Eric. Night soil collectors <laughs> would go in and remove the 
that night soil from people's basements and haul it out and and use it for fertilizer. Oh my god, this could totally be a sci-fi fantasy book called The Night Lake Soil. The Night Soilers. The Night Soilers. More work on the title. work on the title. That is amazing. So, so okay. that, that started the idea of creating the, the sewer system, which right. led to a drastic improvement of public health in many highly urbanized environments, New York City and London and, and throughout Europe. And right. That's amazing. In, in, in the late 1890s, people figured out that chlorine could kill bacteria. Mm-hmm. And they knew that bacteria was in the water supply. And so a couple of smart guys, a couple of smart engineers from Washington State figured out that... Uh, really? Washington State University. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, something about the go cougars Cougs. coming in. Go, uh, go Cougs. They got yeah. figured out. But they figured out a way to, to, to add chlorine to drinking water supply. Mm-hmm. And when they did that, they were able to you know, eliminate the bacteria that was making people sick in their drinking water. So this um, happened in the 70s, you said? Or? 1890s. 18, I'm like, not so in the it, 70s. It, in the 1890s, and they figured that out. So, But it didn't, didn't start to like, become what? widely used until 1910. Okay. Uh, and the kind of the technology that we use today to, to use chlorine to disinfect water really didn't come into effect until the 1940s. Okay. And so there was, uh, you know, it, it took not quite 100 years, but then you had this basic level of, of providing safe, reliable drinking water and efficient ways of disposing of our waste in right. the water supply. But that was because a lot there were still rural people that had wells and stuff, right? I mean, you're talking about like city systems or even even in the city systems that didn't happen until like 1940. Yeah. So, so okay. in 1940, the mirror still, it was kind of a newer thing to get urban environments up onto that high level drinking water. In, in, in Bellingham, we would look at the wastewater treatment system. Uh, the city was doing basic screening of our wastewater up until the 1960s. Uh, it wasn't until okay. the 1960s or 70s that we finally put a primary treatment system in. It wasn't See, until I knew the there 19... was a 70s in there. <laughs> <laughs> the 1980s that we added a, what we call a secondary treatment. And so uh, it's only been a recent last 20 or 30 years that we've added a higher level of treatment to protect the bay. Contrast that with Victoria, which is just, you know, kind of the basic primary level, letting it go. Yeah. But uh, wow. that'll change. All these decades this is happening. What did people do? Like, how did they get their water then? Well, how they get their water is maybe different than how they how, they, how the water is made safe. And so the, the, okay. the two things kind of went hand in hand. One was keeping it safe and then getting it to people's homes. And so they had to go put pipes and pumps and treatment plants and, and uh, ways to get water to people's home. And sometimes we'll say that, that water is free. Yeah. But we charge you for delivery. So you can get all the free water you want, but I, I'll bring it to your house 24-7, 365 days a week, and you can just turn the tap on and then it will come out. Yeah. And it's safe to drink and you can you can drink that water. And that's kind of the difference, right? Um, at, least in, at least in my brain. 1899. 1890s, yeah. If I wanted to drink water at my home, I wanted to jug a water, what would I do? How would I go get that? Depending on where you live, sometimes you just go to the communal well. And so okay. in, in the urban environment, urban London, you yeah. went to this community well and, and, okay. and that it was very easily polluted. And so you had these <laughs> massive uh, outbreaks of communicable diseases because everybody was using the same polluted water supply. Okay. They decided to fix that and treat the water and they shut the wells down. Well, how do people get their water? Well, now they're going to find a different way to do that Yeah. rather than the well it's contaminated by human waste in the middle of town you got to bring water from a different source into the community were there like water delivery trucks like they were like milk guys you know i don't know i don't know how that was done. yeah it's, uh, <laughs> like how did this work but but we do the same the same kind of thing today though is yeah. that we don't let you put a septic system on top of your drinking water well there has to be separation and, yeah. and we, those are basic principles that were completely foreign to people in the 1820s right that was just yeah. a novel concept and today we take it for granted but that's that's how that was done I heard that back in the day in the 1800s and even 1700s that uh, when beer was being made, that a lot of people would think that beer was from the gods or something because they were boiling the water and they didn't know that just boiling the water would get rid of all the contaminants or whatever, but yeah. they actually thought that beer was saving them. So people were drinking beer instead of water. Even no. to the children's? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were saying, I watched the... Thing on the on Discovery YouTube. Channel. Okay. Or oh, yeah, I, I, I've, uh, I've seen those same it was, things. It was how beer saved the world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike Rowe or something like that. Well, the, uh, Br- the British Navy was famous for that, drinking rum rather than the water, because the rum wouldn't go bad and the drinking water would, would get foul. So we're going to take a quick break, actually. And then at, when we come back, I want to talk more about this idea of, okay, once we have transportation for this clean water. I want to talk about a little bit of how we make it clean, these these sewer plants and what are they called? Waste treatment plants? Wait, we have water plants and wastewater plants. Okay, we're going to talk about those two plants and what's the difference. And we're also going to talk about the difference between water quality and, or the different water quality topics. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Let it get 
Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking to Eric Johnston about water quality. So I want to actually take this time to talk about when you hear the term water quality, which we've been hearing in the news and everything, what does somebody who actually does this for a living, what do you think about and like all the nuances? So water quality, it means two things to me, particularly in Bellingham, where we, we talk an awful lot about and, and do a lot of things to help improve uh, surface water quality, water quality of our lakes, of our creeks, of our, of our, of our salt water, of the bay. And that's critically important. The other portion is drinking water quality, and sometimes the two get used uh, interchangeably and synonymously, but they're they're kind of two different things. Yeah. Uh, the the water quality means environmental health, and how healthy is the environment? How healthy are the creeks? Uh, is the water temperature high enough? Is there enough to, is there enough dissolved oxygen? Uh, what's the algae doing in the lake this year? What's the nutrient content in in the saltwater bodies? How is the health of our environment being reflective in the water quality of the creeks? You know how muddy they are. How all those types of things play into that. If there's like a shopping cart in it, yes, stuff like that. <laughs> that would be bad. That would yeah. be unhealthy. <laughs> I've just I've seen that in in many different cities. So yeah. I'm just saying. Well, we see that to some extent in Bellingham. Yeah. We try to, to to take action to that, and the city and the community places a very high value on water quality, and, and for good reason. You know that we we spend millions of dollars every year to help protect and, and keep our our surface water quality to a, a high standard that's expected. The other aspect is drinking water quality. And when we say drinking water quality, what that means is the water that comes out of my tap, is it, is it safe to drink? Uh, can I trust it? Can I reliable it? Does it taste good? Does it look good? Uh, all those things that, that we would expect out of, out of tap water. And so those two kind of become separated. But oftentimes uh, they can be used interchangeably, fortunately. So we can have a, a very high quality drinking water and still need to be concerned about the quality of the water that that source is coming from. And we okay. see that with Lake Wacom. So Lake Wacom, we can get concerned about the water quality of the lake. We're concerned about high phosphorus loading, which leads to high nutrient loading. How would somebody notice that without actually going and like taking samples? Or they couldn't? You probably wouldn't. Okay. You know, so from the surface, Lake Wacom looks beautiful. You know, it's it's blue, it's clear, it's good to it's good to swim in. You can take your take your boat out on there. You can enjoy the aesthetics of the lake. And uh, we are increasingly concerned about the health of that lake by adding new higher levels of nutrients, which allow for more organics to grow in the lake. And as, the, as those organics die off, then that consumes the oxygen that's in the water and we get low dissolved oxygen levels. And when that happens, then that affects fish, that affects the quality of the water, that affects lots of different things. And so it's important to keep the water quality as high as we can. So the community, the, the city, the county, and the, and the government agencies around the lake, the, the water sewer districts, are doing many, many things to help improve and maintain the water quality of that lake. And so we see that with you can't dig a hole in, in your backyard in, in December, right? That's to prevent uh, the erosion that can put nutrients into the lake. We have Wait, so you can't? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah there it I is. Did, I, didn't, I did not know. Yeah. In, okay. the, in the watershed, okay. there's a specific set of, of laws. Okay, that, where is the watershed? That's the area directly around the lake. Any area of land that would, that if a drop of rain fell, okay. would go towards the lake would be the watershed. So okay, within, got it. Within that particular area, there are very strict controls on on what people can do. And like burying their cats and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these things happen, right? They do, they do. But so, so we get concerned about uh, construction practices that result in, in runoff, uh, you know, and wanting to find ways to reduce the amount of nitrogen, the reduce the amount of phosphorus, the reduce the amount of soil erosion that's going down into, into Lake Wacom. Okay. And by reducing that down, then we help to improve the, the quality of the lake. And that's got the attention of, of the city and the county and the state and the federal, federal government uh, to a large extent to help preserve and protect the, the quality of that lake. And you work with fishing yes. people, right? We I work mean. with lots of different <laughs> lots of different interest groups. Yeah. And, and because the lake is not just a source of water water for the for the community, it's also a very uh, valued source of recreation. Right. Uh, for fishing, for people boating, for just enjoying the aesthetics of the lake. It's uh, it's a it's a reservoir that's get used for many many purposes. And so it's important right. to reflect all of those and find the balance for all those interests. The other aspect is uh, drinking water quality as we were talking earlier about the need to help protect public health. So we take water comes out of the lake and it goes through a pipe that's you know, about, a, about a quarter mile long and it takes water off, off of the lake at, at a pretty low level within the under, underwater and it comes into the water treatment plant and we do some things to it and then, and then send it down through a series of pipes into your home. We call that the water treatment plant. And so the water that's in the lake uh, is pretty very high quality water in terms of perspective of drinking water. You know, compare, compare Lake Wacom to the Mississippi River or 
do we, we want to do that? Well, we don't. Yeah, we no, we, we don't need to do that stuff. because <laughs> because Lake Wacom is of a much higher quality water than than many other places. But it okay. still needs to be treated. Okay. Still, there's we still need to do things to keep it safe for people to drink. And so what we do is we remove some of the particulates, the the turbidity. There's a scientific term for you. The, you know, the Thank you. Turbidity. 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 It's, it's, Spark a science. it's a measure of clarity, right? So. Uh, I think we've actually we've had that term before on the show. Yeah. I don't remember which episode, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so so to, to explain that, if you were to look at the Skagit River when it's flooding, the water looks brown, and and that right. is a very high turbidity. It's, it's you can't see anything through it, and, and Lake Wacom is very low turbidity. Uh, but we do need to remove and control that. We have to disinfect the water, which means we take and we add chlorine to it to kill the the bugs and bacteria that are in that water supply, and we have to do that in a way that is enough to kill the bacteria is not too much to cause people to get to get sick uh, we have to and we have to do certain things to control the amount of, of chemical reactions that happen in the system to control lead and copper okay. from coming out and making people sick and that's the main source like of our drinking water is like Lake Wacom. That's the only source of that's water. That's the only source. That's the only source that we have. So, okay. So we all... And what, what feeds into Lake Wacom? Is that like glacial water from like the mountains or like... It's right. rainwater. It's so just rainwater? It's just rainwater. So we, we have we have all of the rainwater that falls within that watershed, you know, okay. the, the, the basin, any water that would <clears throat> fall, it would go into Lake Wacom. Okay. We have a secondary source that we use on occasion. We okay. don't use it very much, but allows us to pull water off the upper fork of the Nooksack River okay. and divert water into Lake Wacom. Okay. But by and large, the vast majority of our water is just rain runoff. Okay. And that, that fills that reservoir up. There's a dam on the lake that we help control it, which is why I call it a reservoir and, and, and not a lake. It's... It's got a dam that controls that. So we, okay. call, we call those technically, scientifically, those are reservoirs. Okay. Uh, See, I mean, I didn't know this. I, I know there's so many, like, lakes that are, you know, fed by rivers, and I, I'm i not a geologist. Yeah. Is that what that would be? Sure. I, I look to Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Would yeah, you know? I don't know about <laughs> um, so geology. So it's, it's basically rainwater, but some Nooksack water goes into Lake Wacom. Correct. But okay. for the by and large, for the most part, Lake Wacom is fed by by creeks and by um, and that provides all the water that the city of Bellingham and a hundred and some odd thousand people use for drinking water every day. Okay. I can believe that because I lived in Sudden Valley for like eight years. Yeah. And I don't think my lawn was ever dry. <laughs> so I can totally believe that. And yeah. you did not dig any holes in December, was it? Not that I recall. <laughs> October through April. Okay. <laughs> okay. So when it so rains. When it rains, that water goes into the reservoir. We control yeah. the level of the lake to make sure that we've got enough water to last us through the dry seasons. And last last summer, people saw the lake go down lower than it normally has in years past, and that's yes. affected by the drought. Uh, so we, we take a very proactive approach uh, to track and monitor the history of, of how rainfall events occur and make sure we have enough water in that reservoir to last us through the dry season that sometimes happens in Washington. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what happened last summer? Yeah, it was it was pretty dry last summer and yeah. we were it was going down lower than it had been for many years and, yeah. and so we were we needed to be aware of that. Uh, you just said you've looked into the history of it. Is there like a pattern that you can kind of tell? Like, are we getting less rain now than we ever have or more rain now? Or is there? It's a bit of a different pattern, I think. You know, so, it's, so we have a short history. It's hard to gauge geologic history versus short-term operational history. But the last 20 to 30 years, from what I can see, and I'm not an expert in that hydrogeology world, but we see much more intense rainstorms in the fall and the springtime. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and longer periods where we get no rainfall. So it about evens out. Well, we have enough. We we have enough water to drink. We sure. have enough water to store. We're, we're certainly not decreasing in the amount of water we have available to us. We are very lucky in Washington State. We very are. We very <laughs> yeah. much are. But the challenge is to manage that in a way that 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 can last us and meet all of our needs. that maybe we could just buy up all the houses that are on the uh, coast of of the right. reservoir and Sun just Valley. say hey uh we're gonna raise the we're gonna raise up the creek a little bit and we're gonna raise up lake wacom about, <laughs> about 20 feet those houses are affordable so maybe maybe the city could do it yeah right that's what i'm saying <laughs> Well, he, he looks so scared. Eric is very, very, very scared. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think before we start buying houses to, to store more water, we recognize that we have plenty of water in that lake. 
fine. We have absolutely no need to do that. There's there's enough water in that lake to, to do all the things that we need to do. Do you still have enemies in Sudden Valley? Is that what this is about? No. I, <laughs> I know, I know we, there was always, in Sudden Valley, I don't know if it was more or less, but there was always talking about there's algae in the yes. next on the dam or whatever, and mm. you we had watering schedules and... Yep. Yeah, don't wash your cars and I don't wash my car ever anyway. Yeah, all, right. all those things all those things are done specifically to help keep the lake water quality as good as we can make it, right? Mm. And and there's a long-term plan that will help help improve that. And that means not washing your car and and using the low phosphorus, low nitrogen fertilizers in your yard. That means not digging holes in in the in the in the rainy season and doing things that we all can do at our homes to help protect that. And not burying your because that because that results in the algae that you see or hear about and that that's problematic because when that algae dies it kills the oxygen which impairs the health of the lake. So before we go into I think the sewer treatment plant because I our listeners know Jordan and I like to talk about poop. Um, but before we do, yeah, exactly. Um, before we talk about that, I want to talk about, so we get our water from Lake, Lake Whatcom, but there is so many stories in national news right now about water, drinking water problems in the quality of like Flint. And I'll just have this article right here about DC, um, drinking water that was apparently very bad as well. Mm -hmm. So, and I know you keep up on this. So can you tell our listeners kind of maybe a little bit about Flint, maybe a little about other cities that are having similar issues and why we are not going to have those issues. Absolutely. And that, that's a great message. The uh, The city of Bellingham has great water and many communities do, but the issue that's happened in Flint most recently and was a problem in DC, it was a problem in many communities, uh, is the amount of lead that can leach out of, of plumbing fixtures. What can happen within a water supply is that as the chemistry of the water changes, that affects the metals that are in the pipes that bring the water to your tap. And what happens with lead is that there's lead in the solder that connects the copper pipes together. These the plumbers that you know, solder joints together with a torch and a, and a, and a coil of lead. Uh, that was allowed and was common practice up until 1989 or so. And in 1991, there was a federal regulation that was passed that limited, limited the amount of lead that could be allowed in a water system. Lead is a terrible thing to have in your body, right? I, any amount of lead, particularly for young children and for, and for the elderly, is a, is a terrible thing to have. So the goal is zero lead, but the federal government set a limit of 15 parts per billion lead content in the water supply. And 15 parts per billion is a couple of grains of sand in a five-gallon bucket full of sand, so it's not a, not a large amount, but even at small quantities, lead is a problem. In Flint particularly, uh, they had lead levels that were measured in the hundreds and even thousands per in the part parts per, per billion. billion. So wow. massive amounts of lead on a comparative scale federal law says above 15 parts per billion you have to do something to prevent that and in flint they were getting levels that were you know above 100 or you know very very high <laughs> right right and so this it, article it, was talking about how in dc it was even they had higher numbers very much so it, yeah. so it, it was not <laughs> uncommon for many many communities to deal with that problem and this is the science connection to that. So, so science researchers were observing problems in the medical industry and said, we need to deal with this. What's causing this? Well, mm-hmm. this is being caused by lead. Well, where's the lead coming from? It's coming from somebody's drinking water. That leads to the engineers and the scientists and the regulators saying, we need to solve this problem. Let's regulate this and take care of that problem. It's the same thing we talked about earlier in terms of the health of the water, the, the, the addition of disinfectants and chlorine to prevent cholera. Lead is the same issue. Science led to a need to uh, minimize that health effect and get lead out of the system. So the regulations got put into place. And Bellingham is nowhere near even close to the issues that Flint and and, and D.C. were seeing. Our 90th percentile, so 90% of the samples we take for lead, are at four parts per billion in our most recent year. Wow. So, so, so our, we're even better. Our drinking water quality is exceptional when it comes to that. And, and one of the things that Bellingham does is we are aggressive in going after the lead. So if we know of a piece of lead in the system that we find that as we're out doing maintenance, we will remove that lead from the city system. And what we'll do in testing for the lead is we find the worst case houses or the houses that we think might be the worst case, and those are the ones that we test. And we test them in the, in the worst possible scenario. So rather than letting the tap run for a few minutes and then taking the sample, we tell people to, this is what the regulations really suggest, is that you, in fact require, is that you, you don't run the water tap at all for six hours and then you take the first sample. And that's what we do in Bellingham. So we're not after, we're after the worst case scenario. So we have very confident that we can say our drinking water is safe and here's why, here's the test results. And we do things at the water treatment plant to help prevent that. So we uh, adjust the pH, we increase the pH to about eight and we increase the alkalinity 
to about 22 parts per million. And that helps control and minimize the chemical reactions that occur inside the pipe systems that result in lead from leaching out of the water and getting into your, into your tap. So again, there's a connection back to science that says here's the chemistry, chemical properties that can result in lead leaching and getting into drinking water. We can adjust the water quality that's naturally around a little less than seven. We can increase the pH to a little more than eight that reduces that potential for that chemical reaction to occur. So how did it get so bad then in, in, in these other places? Like, is it just that we're more we're better at attacking or addressing these issues when other people were not? Well, I, I can't say yeah. again with the failings of government in Flint. <laughs> yeah. I, I won't really kind of get into that. But, but, but Since what, you are a government employee. <laughs> well, uh, there are government employees and government employees. And Bellingham is a great community to work for. We place <laughs> great value on doing the things and being proactive with that. But in Flint, what happened is they changed the water supply. And the pH dropped. The pH went from a, about an 8, which is where they'd want to be. And they were adding a certain chemical called an orthophosphate to, to control that, that lead release. They changed water supplies. The pH dropped to 7. So you had a tenfold increase in pH, more, more acidic. And then they stopped adding, for whatever reason, the orthophosphate. And I won't comment as to why that happened. But, but that's what resulted in the lead being leached out of the water system. In Bellingham, we've had a very constant and stable supply, and we have not had a change in that chemistry, and so we're, we're, it's a very constant stable. And you can see our lead levels decreasing over the last 20 years since those regulations got put into play. So we're, we're being very proactive with that. We want to solve that problem uh, by doing what we can do and, and balancing all of the, the mix of things we do with drinking water to keep it safe, keep it healthy, keep it clear, keep it keep it usable for our local breweries and the, and the food processing companies and the let them do their thing. It's really very important, really right? Important. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we want to keep, a, keep an eye on that, but uh, we, we are pretty aggressive in making sure our water is safe to drink. And we're going to add another $15 million worth of improvements in the plant this year mm-hmm. to help control another set of chemicals that are, that are, are proving to be problematic or, or are getting bigger in quantity, and we want to get those out of the system as best we can. I have a, I have a quick question. So I don't know, see if maybe there's a correlation between the two. I have a couple of different, a few different houses. Two of them have the... He's a real estate mogul. Two of them have like the old school pipes with the lead. The new one that I just built last year has all brand new plumbing and it's all pipes or all the, what is it? I don't know, flexible PVC pipes pecs. or whatever it's cool. called. Yeah. What is it? Pex. Pex. It's got pex. My house has pecs. Right. <laughs> um, Somebody's got to. So do you think the lead would be more prevalent in older cities? In older houses, too. Well, yeah. yeah. I'm like in high rises that are, you know, 80 years old, or I don't know how old a high rise is, but uh, it, yeah. if it was like 80 years old, do you think that would be Like more the Billingham Herald building. Well, I'm, I'm just, in like <laughs> New York City. <clears throat> right. right. They would just have to take down all their pipes and start clean or it really depends and age is not always the best indicator okay mm. so so the the tier one high risk areas to testing are construction that was in the 1980s so in the 1980 yep, construction because that's more recent so in when 1992 93 when the first regulations came out those tier one homes were the homes that had been there for only about 10 years so if the water chemistry doesn't change, a home that's been there for 20 years has got some, the lead is all lead that will leach out is le- either leached out or it's got a protective film over it. Mm-hmm. And so older homes from the 50s, 60s, or, or 40s, or older buildings, if the water chemistry doesn't change, then that those reactions have probably peaked out or maxed out, or you've developed scale over the inside of the pipe to prevent that lead from leaching. Mm. A newer home in the 1980s, with copper pipes and lead solder wouldn't have the time to develop that same protective coating and would be fresh and new and it would be mm. you know it, leaching out pretty quick rate after 1990 after 1990s new construction uh, used lead free um, plumbing fixtures those rules changed again in the early 2000s and they went from lead free being considered less than 8% to less than a 0.25% so mm. construction that has occurred since 2000 uh, early 2000s um, there's no lead of, to speak of in the home. So we're going to take a break, and during the break, I'm going to ask you about my home. And then <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk about the sewage plants, and then we'll also talk about how does pop culture portray your field. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Water dissolving and water removing. There is water at the bottom of the ocean. Under the water, carry the water. Water 
Welcome back to Spark Science. Uh, we're here with a civil engineer and a city employee, Eric Johnston. Is that an okay title That's for you? That's an awesome title. Okay. He's probably the most professional-looking person we've had on. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, he, for our listeners, he has a tie. You'll see pictures. We'll put them on um, Instagram. He's got a, a name badge. He does. <laughs> on a Star Talk, they have this lightning round thing where they ask questions, and the host, who is Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist, asks, um, answers the questions. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you the <laughs> questions, and you are going to answer them as briefly as you can. And then we'll talk about poo water, sewage, and then we'll talk about pop culture. Uh, does our Brita filter actually do anything? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What's it do? So Brita filters are activated carbon filters, and they can remove a number of chemicals and byproducts. Uh, they actually, are, If they are rated for to do so, they can remove lead from your drinking water. Uh, they, they can help remove the chlorine that is, is residual in the drinking water as well. And they can have some absorption of some minerals and some other chemicals in the water. So activated carbon does a good job of going an extra level to improve your water. Could I use that same application for like fish tank filters that have the activated carbon fish tank filters? And I could just run it in there instead of using a Brita filter? Could. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I would think that like Brita would be like regulated somehow better than aquarium filters. In one sense, our water treatment plant is just a really, really big Brita filter. That's the best answer to these right. questions. Right. I love it. Okay, I'm going to ask one and then I'm going to let um, Jordan ask another one he can pick on his own. So, does logging around the lake impact water quality? So, our lake walk and where we get our water. Lots of land development activities affect water quality. So, anytime there's a change to the natural environment, that needs that will there are effects to that. And so logging has one effect, development has one effect. Uh, and and sometimes those effects are positive and negative. So, does logging affect the health of the lake? Yes. But our big Brita filter takes care of a lot of it. Well, again, we need to separate water quality, yeah. health of the lake from our drinking water, <laughs> right? True. Our drinking water is always going to be safe to drink. We need to do things to improve health of the lake Wacom. Is taste a good indicator of quality? Yes. So quality is, a, there's lots of different ways to measure quality. And, and one way for people to reflect, is there water quality or not, is the taste. Uh, does taste necessarily indicate that it's safe to drink? No. But uh, a good tasting water is a quality water. And Bellingham has consistently been rated as a very quality water from taste. This year we won the regional contest for uh, uh, taste test and we beat out Everett and some of our competitors. Take uh, that, for Everett. For taste test, right? So uh -huh. water, Bellingham water tastes great. <laughs> it's like uh, beer tasting. Awesome. But we water. won something. I just want to win something. I didn't even know there was some sort of thing. What are the contaminants that and issues that we face locally and are they specific or, or unique to Bellingham? Well, unfortunately, it's nice to not be unique, right? So, <laughs> so in, in the world of, of engineering and public health, nobody wants to be first, right? We all want to do things that are proven to work. Yes. And, and you're not first, you're last. Well, we don't want to be first or last. We want to be kind of in the middle. That's a very safe place for civil engineers to be. Okay. You know, the first people to build the uh, Tacoma's Narrows Bridge, well, it fell yeah. down, right? right? That was bad to be first. <laughs> we want to be the second people. That was the right wind's right. fault. Well, yeah. Well, they, yeah, they know. Did what they didn't no, know, know. They, what they didn't know, but you know, that's fine. So, it's so fine. you know, I mean, engineering is fraught with pushing something forward, having it fail, and then correcting that. So, the issues that Bellingham faces are are not unique. They are they are in terms of our drinking water quality. They they are the same issues that many municipalities face. We work very cooperatively with regional and national organizations to to address our problems the same way other people do. One thing that is unique about Bellingham is we are going to be the first municipal water supplier in the state to add a new pretreatment system to water to our water plant. So we're going to use the dissolved air flotation, which means Sweet. putting little tiny bubbles of, of air into a water column that will attach and bind onto organics or some algae that comes out of Lake Whatcom, float that to the surface and take it off the water, and then take the cleaner water off of the bottom before it goes into our treatment system. That's going to be awesome to watch. It's going to be need, great. We right. need video of this. We, yeah, well, give us about two years and we'll be there. Okay. <laughs> but but, but that, what that's going to help us do is help us to remove a, a potentially cancer-causing problem, chemical that's in the water system that comes from how we treat water. And so what we're seeing as, as we help control the lead, as we see uh, with the chemicals we add, as we see lower water usage and, and the need to add additional chlorine to the water supply to keep it safe to drink, we're seeing an increase or a rise, a slow rise, uh, in, in the disinfection byproducts uh, or a class of chemicals called trihalomethanes. There's more science for you. Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't know anything about any of this. So, so this, this will help us control those and minimize those and, and, and get us to the point where, where it, water is continuing to be safe. We're nowhere near the regulations or the limits, but we don't want to even come close to them. So we're going to put that system in place today 
to keep that in there, uh, prevent that from happening in the future. Cool. All right. Uh, what's your mother's maiden name? McIntyre. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, what's your birthday? No, 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 no. <laughs> July 4th. No, no, Social no. Social security number? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> uh, I was just, you're, you handed me this thing earlier and I found it quite intriguing uh, that the uh, Bellingham tap water beats out many of the national uh, water bottle or bottled water. Yes. Things. Yes. I'm looking at the, the numbers are actually... They look like numbers with zeros and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, we have great drinking water. In fact, we, a couple of years ago, we, we had our lab staff go get some bottled water from the store, just a couple of random brands, and uh, our drinking water coming out of the tap is as clean and, and lacking of chemicals as any of those uh, bottled water supplies. Remember Water Joe? I don't. No, it was what? it was caffeine uh, oh caffeinated my God, yes. water. Oh no, that was that no. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> Sh- Sugar free caffeinated water. Yeah, I don't What's, remember no, what it was. No. Just called Water Joe. Water no. Joe. Wow. wow. They sold it at our high school. No, How I, did you not know? No, I when you, as soon as you said that, I started to, to remember. Water no. Joe. And if you just add sugar, then it's pop. Right. Let's get to our sewage treatment plant because I, when Jordan and I were children, we had one field trip to the sewage treatment plant. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, and I think we've already talked about this trip on the show. <laughs> but where is our sewage treatment plant and uh, why is it awesome? Well, it's down on the south side of town. It's in the, uh, on the west side of Fairhaven. Uh, we call it the Post Point Wastewater oh, Treatment live. Facility. So it's just, <laughs> no. just a little bit south of the... Uh, of the train station down there in okay. that flat. There's an open off-leash dog park down there and a little bit of trail that goes around yeah, it. Yeah, I took my that, brother's dog there. That's our wastewater treatment plant. Yeah. Uh, and it uses a biological process to remove pollutants that come down in the water supply. It, interestingly enough, the, the wastewater that comes in the plant is about 95% just water. And that 5% are the extra things that end up in the water supply. So I think our past guests called them solids. So, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Biosolids. And, that, and, and, yeah. and our, our, our plant is pretty good. It's, it's consistently been awarded uh, awards from the State Department of Ecology for being a great water, wastewater treatment plant, and they do a good job with that. What's you the were, name of that award? Yeah. The Wastewater Award. Dang! <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, but, the, the, <laughs> the, but the, the, the guys are really good about it. When the ecology comes, they give us what the, the golden plunger is what they give us. Oh. They take a little plunger and paint it. could have been so much with, better. Yeah. could have been so much better. Somebody failed. You, you are our only guest that like tells us the large amount of awards like your, yeah. your department has gotten. We've had no one. Right. Maybe yeah. we've had no one who's gotten any awards. Maybe they well, still have a government yeah. back him up. We're, we're, right. we're proud of what we do. We like working with poop, but it's fun to do. So. Yeah, it's true. Do you think <laughs> it would help? I don't know if you do, but maybe this is an idea for you. Uh, the little dog park that's around there if there was like a little bin that they could just shove all their dog turds in the little bin and then it just boom instantly gets processed yeah like like those camp trashes is that yeah, like, yeah sure just put it in the garbage can yeah <laughs> and then and then you can tell all our bellingham listeners that please pick up your dog please do and, that, and that's a good point we we're talking about that earlier water quality is important picking up your your pet waste helps improve our water quality please yeah our wastewater plant it's we just we've just finished a, a a $55 million improvement to, to improve the process and make it more efficient and, and help it keep that water clean before it goes out to the bay. We're just getting started now on a project for about eight eight years from now to help deal with the biosolids a different way. So we're looking biosolids. at be, deal with the biosolids, which is... <laughs> Which is actually not poop. It's actually just the, yes, tell us. the it's the leftovers of the of the critters that chew on the poop. So it's it's oh. secondary. I mean that's a whole other topic. We it's not night that. soil. It's not night soil. Night <laughs> soil. I, I night swear soil. to you, that book is coming out. <laughs> yeah. Plants are fun. Anyways, but we're we're yeah. gonna do do it deal with that a different way and treat it more as a resource rather than a waste product. So that's something exciting to see in the next couple of years. That actually is really interesting. I, I know um, there's a lot of recycling and reusing that we talk about in Bellingham, so that would be it's very awesome. You may ask yourself, what is that beautiful house? You may ask yourself, where does that highway go to? want to talk about now since we're done mostly talking about poop is talk about how i 
Jordan's shaking his head. No, he will no. never be done, is what he's trying to say. <laughs> Every single guest we have on here, we ask them, how does pop culture, this is like movies, TV, you know, even comic books, how does it, how does, how do those sources of media represent or dis- or portray your field? And is that, is it good or is it bad or both? Civil engineers get a bad rap. Yeah. <laughs> we get stereotyped as the government employee with the white shirt and the tie. Oh, wait a minute. Wait oh, a that's minute. what I'm wearing today. Oh. <laughs> it's okay to be the Snappy stereotype. Blues. There it's you okay. go. No, I, I, I like Star Trek. Engineers, I mean, we, we kind of get a bad rap, and we, so to some extent it's, it's, it's deserved on us, but uh, that's okay. But it's, it's not necessarily a glamorous profession to be in, mm. the, in the municipal engineering side of things. And, you don't and, get to be in Entertainment Weekly. And no, stuff we like don't. That. You know, and, and, and you know, the, the pop culture, John Oliver had a great thing on, on civil engineering. And so the pop culture, when it comes to, to municipal infrastructure, talks about blowing stuff up, right? And so the aliens come, they blow up the bridges, and they blow up the towns, and they blow up the cities, and there you go. Yeah. Godzilla comes and destroys the town. Well, right. nobody, that's that's what pop culture does to infrastructure, is it destroys it. Right. And, and it, well, but it, it gives you jobs. We can, we can rebuild it. That's right. That's we can right. rebuild. I think the only thing I have that's sort of pop culture is uh, in the army now. With Pauly Shore, great movie. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, they were, were. You're telling people your age, Jordan. Pauly Shore, a fan. Go ahead. I didn't say it was a fan. I said it was a movie. <laughs> uh, that they were in. They were his brother was a pool man, so they were like, "Let's just sign up in the army. We'll do water treatment." And then they ended up being like the first people shipped over to wherever the they need. They were needed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wherever they were needed because people needed water because it was like a desertous area so you were portrayed by Polly shore is what jordan's saying that, that, i'll take that as a compliment <laughs> and andy dick oh it was andy dick <laughs> yeah. wow no. that's, that's, that's some shore. high culture right there and that's oh. the girl who played tank girl I don't oh know. um oh she was just on gotham she's so great uh, I forgot her name. Yeah, I forgot her name. You know, as, as we're talking about, it, I think because I'm not a I'm not a pop culture kind of a guy. I just I don't even have a television in my house. It's just uh, you're it's so Bellingham, weird, right? So you're so he, Bellingham, but, but uh, that's right. <laughs> but but what comes to mind is Aaron Brockovich. You know the movie yes. Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. very much water quality and. And, and, and the industry to keep our drinking water safe. That's Civil that's action. Very, civil action. All the John Grisham shows, right? <laughs> all you know, of this them. This is pretty much, you know, you know, evil things that people do to the environment that, that right. affect our health. That is, I think, a reflection of pop culture in in my world. Yeah. But you are a warrior. You're the one who isn't portrayed in those movies actually doing something about it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> You're like, oh. Yes. Warrior pose. Yeah. Put that one out there. <laughs> but it's true, right? You don't have you don't have the civil engineers, you don't have the cities one portrayed well and on the other hand not even mentioned honestly in, in right. some of those those movies. So. That's right. You know the the and and right, very rightfully so the the heroes for government are our life safety folks, you know, our policemen and our firefighters yeah. who are on the cutting edge, you know, literally risking their lives in some cases and the public works folks they are in the background. Yeah. Right? They, so the first responders are there right off the bat when the hurricane happens or when the building falls down. And Public Works is going to be there two days after. Right. And we'll clean up the mess for the next month. And then we'll make sure that your water is safe to drink and your sewage is safe to go out to the bay. And, and my employees, the city's employees, your Public Works workers, they're heroes too. So that's that's important to think. I agree. So is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, I've actually been asking guess this as well what is the i know you're not a pop culture kind of guy but (laughs) is there anything in pop culture that you're loving at this moment and i'm going to ask jordan this as well anything i love in pop culture right now yeah i love the avengers (laughs) i also avengers are awesome i'm dying to see the two new movies this oh it's movies so between between (laughs) between the avengers and star wars i think my life is just complete how about that oh wow Wow. but there's more coming though so you have something to live something something to live for you know the the new star wars movie came out and sitting down in that theater and having that first big blast of the retro star wars logo and the music and the and the star destroyer guys whatever coming through the yeah did you enjoy every minute of it i was loving it it was great yeah so the whole movie you enjoyed? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Wow. I got nothing on that. <laughs> you got nothing? You got no pop culture you're You can never top Star Wars. That's just like... Well, I've never seen any of the Star Wars. I don't... Dude. I've never seen... A, an, I know. And I, I, think, I think we, we need to be done. Shows. We need to be done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of my sight. Yeah. No, but you must have to do some research because he does, he does um, space... So... No, um, we just did... Okay, trip. well, because of this, uh, yeah. we just did a thing called Heroes. Correct. And I was a superhero. What were your powers? 
I was a super. Well, I yeah, I was a super. Was it mom. height? I was a super mom. Okay. And I would just uh, clean up people and infections. God. Yeah. Hero. 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 Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> super it's mom. It's true. Her spit can like clean anything. Yeah. I've been slowly obsessed with um, Zootopia, which we've talked about already. I know. I love that movie. It's amazing. I didn't even know it was a movie. It's like, it's awesome. You should definitely see it. I don't even. Oh, well, you should see. I it. like the Rolling Safari. I don't even know where that they're means. like. They're all the the the. They look like balloon creatures, but they're in the safari, and it's like, what would what would it look like if all these animals were round? And there's like this ping. Uh, is this for? It's pre- on the YouTube. Oh, God. <laughs> This is not for your child, is what you're saying. Then, oh, I don't know. It is. It's yeah. hilarious. There's all these pink flamingos. They're all standing in the water. And then there's this alligator who's just floating on the water. And he's like, Ow! Perfectly circular. Oh, trying to, like, bite the flamingos. And then he ends up upside down in the water. And he's trying to wiggle his little feet. Trying to get out. Yeah. I will keep in mind not to ask you these questions in the okay. future. Thank you, Eric, for coming to speak with us. And I want to thank you for keeping our, our water safe and for helping my fears and my hypochondria. What about you, Jordan? I thank you for uh, <laughs> letting my mom still have a job. And oh, don't yes, be... for our listeners, I, I forgot to mention that that fact. Right. Yeah. My stepmom works for Eric. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's she's great, and and we we have you know hundreds of people who work for the city who every day are doing their jobs to make sure that all of our drinking water is safe, and and they they really do appreciate. You know, we, we do appreciate the work that they do, and, and it's important work. I mean, your mom's one of them. So. Yeah. Nice job. Treat yes. all your public servants well, nicely. I know. <laughs> and see Zootopia. They mentioned that. Okay. Thank you for coming, Eric. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Enjoy it. Thank you for joining us. Our producer is Eric Faburetta. The engineer today is Nathan Miller. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Careful, careful with those ingredients, they can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.